Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. I have two great kids. Um, Alexa is 12. She'll be 13. Oh my gosh, in like three months. It's ridiculous that I have an almost teenager. And then Jordan, our son, he is nine. And um, when they were little, I'm pretty competitive. If we play games together, I don't go easy on anyone. And I talk trash. Um, most people want to beat me. They, they sometimes want to be on my team, but more times than not, they want to be on the opposite side and crush my hopes and dreams because that's what I'm trying to do with them. And so when we had kids, there was a, a small competition. Mel may not have even been aware of it, but I was hoping that when Alexa said her first words, the first words that came out of her mouth, I hoped and prayed that it would be dad. And I won. And I remember we were, we were at a store and Alexa was in a cart and she says, Dad, and I'm like, I record it. This was before, you know, great smartphones. And so, like, it took me a minute to get it recorded. And Mel keeps telling me that it doesn't count because she had no idea that I was dead at that. That was just easy for her to say, but it didn't count. Like, whatever she said didn't matter at all because I believe that my little girl is so smart that she knew the moment those came out of her, or out of her mouth, that I was dead at, and that's exactly what she meant to say. So I win. And, you know, when Alexa was young, she spoke and talked really early. And she began to recognize people. And if, if you've had small kids, you get this where sometimes you'll just kind of be in a room and you're like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? And they begin to tell you who people are. And, and I wish some days that my kids still spoke with the little speech impediments that they had as kids, right, and said things that they don't know. Jordan He's not in here, so I can say this. Jordan used to say legular for regular. Oh, my gosh. Can we go there? Can we do the legular kind? We sure can, bud. Let's do the legular kind every day. And he doesn't say that anymore. Like, he talks like a regular person, and it drives me nuts some days. But, but in those moments where we're pointing at people, and it's like, oh, that's mom, that's dad, that's papa, that's Cammy. And then, you know, I always would save the best for last or hit myself again. And every now and then, I would just ask them, like, who loves you the most? Out of everybody that you've named right then, who loves you the most? And almost always with Alexa, I win. She points at me. Jordan, I lose almost every time. He points at Mel. But we're going to talk about Alexa. <laughs> and in those moments of, of hoping that she knows that, that I love her the most, I really just want my kids to know that they're loved. I want them to know at an early age that they have people that are there for them, that love them, that want things for them, that plan for them, that provide stability, that give them a foundation that they can count on. And as they get older, we'll continue to do things so that they know that they are loved by us and they can count on us. And you know, it's not just something that we need as kids. We also need those things as an adult. And we may not verbalize it quite the same way. We may not say that we need to know that people love us and we can count on them, but it shows up. It shows up in relationships. We want to know that we are loved that we are accepted just as we are, that we don't have to put on makeup, we don't have to have nice clothes, we don't have to do certain things, that we are just known, loved, and accepted. And we struggle at times because the people that are in our lives, the family that have, have, have supposed to have been the ones that loved and cared for us, that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. 
that they didn't provide an environment where we felt loved, that we felt stability, that we felt like we could take risks because if I step off of this ledge, they'll be there to catch me. They didn't do that for us. They somehow seemed to communicate that they didn't want us, that we weren't important enough to them to take time out of their schedule. Work was more important, whatever it may be. There are some of us in this room that the family that we have didn't show us that we were loved. And at other times when, when we made our own families, we thought, now I'll get it right. We loved other people. We committed our lives. We committed vows. We said things. We made promises. And sometimes those promises, those vows weren't kept Spouses leave, families fall apart, and we're left wondering, can we be loved? Can we be cared for? They were supposed to, and they didn't. And then in this last year, we all felt this sense of loneliness like we've never felt before. And the friends that we counted on to text us, to, to swing by and just wave at us from the porch when, when we were in shutdown and all these different things, we thought we were cared for until the phone never rang. Until the text messages stopped coming through, until the friends that we thought were lifelong friends somehow never showed up. And all of life, all of these different things seem to, to filter through this way of, of how we look at God. Because if the people that we can see let us down, if the people that we can touch don't really love us, how can I believe that there's hope, that there's love, that there's a God who cares about me when I can't see him? Life teaches us that, that somehow you, you need to be more cynical to survive. That you need to begin to look at the glass not half full but half empty. And some of us have fallen into this trap of hopelessness. That love isn't there, acceptance isn't there, and why would anything good ever come my way? If it comes to me, eventually good is going to go away. I can no longer hope for my life to be different. I can no longer hope that things will be better. And that hopelessness begins to spread to our kids. We begin to think, God, why? Why are they here now in this world? Look how crazy this world is right now. How are they going to know love? How are they going to know acceptance? How are they going to feel you when look at the world around us? We begin to, to have hopeless feelings, not just for ourselves, but for our kids. What will their lives become? But today, today I'm here to tell you that you are loved. Today, I'm, I'm here to let you know that you are cared for, that there is someone here in this building that loves you so much that hope can begin to be found in your heart and in your life, that the times that you put off dreaming, that you put off thinking life can be different, that you can grab a hold of those dreams again. You can find yourself hoping again because there is someone here that gave everything he had just for a shot at a relationship with you. He gave his all because we mattered. Not only does he love us, but he planned for us, and he has plans for us. He's been thinking about you long before you were thinking about him. He's putting things together that you have no idea about, and it may not always feel like it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Hope has a name, and it's Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you for today. We, we thank you for the moments that we get to spend together in your presence and in your word. And I pray that um, it would change us, that your word would, would touch our hearts this morning, that it would challenge us, that we would leave differently than when we came in, that God, because of you and your anointing on your word, our lives would be different. Lord, I ask that you would anoint me to communicate your word clearly, confidently, and effectively in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So for the next few moments, I want to take you on a journey through the last steps that Jesus took. And as we go through them, I believe that over and over, we will see love and hope in his last steps. Last week was the triumphant entry as Jesus declares who he was to all of Jerusalem and marches into, um, into the city. And he's celebrated. People are throwing their clothes on the ground. They're throwing palm leaves down. Like all this stuff is happening. It's great. And then things change pretty quickly. By the end of the week, they're no longer cheering him. He finds himself alone in the garden praying about what is about to happen next. The Bible says that he was praying so hard. There was so much stress on him in that moment that he began to sweat blood. And as he's finishing praying, he's met by one of his disciples who greets him with a kiss and soldiers to arrest him. They take him away to the high priest. They put Jesus on these fake trials. They get fake witnesses to lie. They're looking for a way that they can condemn him to death. They take him to Pilate and Pilate questions Jesus and doesn't get enough to say that he can be guilty of anything. He sends him to Herod. Herod does the same thing, sends him back to Pilate. Pilate's like, nothing is wrong with this guy. He's done nothing deserving of death. I'm just going to release him. And people are in an uproar. The priests are mad and you can't do this. They begin to turn things politically because they know that Pilate will respond to that. So Pilate begins to think, how can I get out of this with my hands clean? Ah, there's there's a tradition that I can use to my favor. Every year they would release a prisoner during the Passover. And so he brings out Jesus the Christ, who's done nothing wrong, who he's told the crowd, he's told the priest, that he's done nothing worthy of death. I just want to release him. He thinks, who can I put him up against that will ensure that he gets to walk free? Barabbas. Barabbas is in jail. He brings out this notorious prisoner is how he's referred to in one gospel. In the other gospels, we find out that Barabbas is a rebellion leader. And during one of his insurrections, he commits murder and robbery. They set them next to each other. And Pilate says this, who do you want, the Christ or the criminal? Who can I set free, the Christ or the criminal? And the crowd begins to chant. They begin to choose. They scream Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And I bet in the moment the crowd thought that they were in control, but they didn't know that Jesus had already made the choice for them that it would always be the Christ for the criminal. And Jesus had chosen long before that moment that he would be treated like Barabbas so that we could be treated like Jesus. And as Barabbas is free, Jesus is taken away to be punished, to be scourged, to be whipped, to be beaten. And I don't want to move too quickly through that because I want you to know that if there was any people at that particular time that knew how to inflict pain, it was the Romans. They took pride in how they tortured prisoners and how they crucified people, how they put them to death. It was an art to them. And they did it better than anyone else. So they take Jesus away to be whipped. And and how they would do that is they would bind his hands to a stump like this, and he would be stretched out, and they would beat him with a cat of nine tails. And we oftentimes think that it would be 39 stripes because Paul talked about that in the New Testament that he received 40 lashes minus one, but we don't see that about Jesus. We assume that that's what happened, but we know with the Romans that they take pride 
in how they beat. They take pride in getting them within an inch of their life and then taking them to the cross. So they beat Jesus mercilessly. The cat of nine tails that they used was was not just your average whip. It was a whip that would have had bone and it would have had metal fragments in it. And it wasn't just the lash that hurt, but the ripping of the flesh as they pull it back. Because an expert person, when they whipped you, would get that whip stuck every single time to inflict the most pain possible, to get the most blood to come out of your body, to make you wish and beg and plead for your life. They did that to Jesus. But in this step, along his last day, hope was on display. Because in that moment, there was hope for healing. Pastor, this makes no sense. You're talking about hope for healing and Jesus is being beaten to a pulp. He's being punished. Yeah, but it begins hope for healing. This is what Isaiah says, because it was, it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced, because of our sin that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing. See, he took our punishment mine, yours, ours. He took it. We earned it, but he endured it. And because he endured it, that gives us hope. Hope that not only that we are loved, but that we can experience healing. This is the beginning of the healing of the relationship between God and man. What Jesus did accepting that there had to be punishment for sin, that there had to be someone, a sacrifice made, Jesus took it. And it gave purpose to all the pain that he would go through. It gave purpose to the blood that was spilled. That with every lash that he took, healing was for us. Healing in our body and healing of our relationship with God. See, the night before, Jesus had gathered all of his disciples together. We call it the Last Supper. And Jesus laid out a new plan, a new covenant, a new path to get to God. It was no longer the Passover. It was no longer the law. Jesus was saying, there's something brand new that I'm about to do. He knew what the next day was all about. They had no idea. And so he took the elements of the table, elements that you received as you came in today. And we're going to take communion this morning at this spot. Because there is hope for healing. There's healing for our body because Jesus said, this bread is no longer just bread, it's my body which is broken for you, which is given just for you. And he grabs the cup of wine, the juice that you have, and he says, this is no longer just an average cup. This is my blood that's being spilled for you. It's poured out for you. And because he pours it out, it lays a new pathway for us to get to Jesus. It means that we can be declared righteous. We can be declared holy. And if you feel like you want to share in communion this morning, I'm going to encourage you to do that. So you can unwrap the elements if you're struggling with those. I have somebody next to you help you. I almost had Mel open mine for me beforehand. But as we take this, here's what I want to encourage you to think about. This isn't just about the beating, and the blood. Jesus poured all this out for us. It it is that. 
And we want to treat it with reverence, but we also don't want to treat this as a somber moment. Because it's called Good Friday for a reason. It may not have felt good to Jesus. It may not have looked good to us, but it was all good for us. Because he gave all that he had for me and for you to make a way for us to get back to God. So as you take this, take it reverently, but don't take it sadly. The Bible tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus went to the cross. There was joy. He was thinking about you and you and me, and he was happy to pay the price for us. So let's celebrate the gift that Jesus gave of himself for me and for you. Would you share in the body and the blood of Jesus with us this morning? put it in your mouth, but. It's all about hope. It's all about the hope. So can you can we give out a shout of praise? Can you put your hands together for a moment? Like this isn't a sad moment. When you take communion from now on, it is a reverent thing, but man, celebrate it. Jesus did that for you. You meant that much to him and he'd do it all over again. So after they beat Jesus, they whip him, they take him to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And not only does he have to go there, but they make him walk and carry his cross. The very thing that would take his life, he had to bear it. And when they get there, they nail him to the cross, hands in his arms, hands through his feet. They place him in a hole in the ground. Boom, they drop him in, hanging between two thieves. And there Jesus is mocked and ridiculed by seemingly everyone. See, they didn't just crucify him anywhere. They crucified him where everyone could see. Next to a major road so that as people were passing by, they could see the disgrace, the shame, the beating that was inflicted on him. They wanted to embarrass Jesus as much as they could as they killed him. And it seemed like no one let up. While he's on the cross, Luke 23 says this. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. Us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me. In paradise. I want you to see this moment because we have two thieves on the cross next to Jesus, both of them in close proximity to the Savior, both of them to the, with the same access to the Savior, both with opportunities in front of them. One takes the opportunity to get one last jab and one last joke, one last dig at Jesus. The other saw an opportunity for hope. He sees something different in Jesus. He recognizes that Jesus hadn't done anything to deserve 
what's being done to him. It's only being crucified because of who he claims to be. And what if that claim is real? He looks at Jesus and he tells the other thief on the cross, man, I'm guilty. We're guilty. And in that moment, something begins to happen that we most times just walk past. But a few weeks ago when we were talking about the gospel that Jesus was preaching, go back and remember those moments. Jesus came preaching repentance of sin and that the kingdom of God was here. And we see this thief on the cross take step number one as he admits his guilt to Jesus. And then he asks, not for a place. I don't, I don't feel like he felt like he deserved anything in that moment, that he was worth Jesus doing anything special for him. And so he asked, when you go to your kingdom, oh, he talked about repentance and a new kingdom. And here, this man on the cross at his last breaths, he's saying to Jesus, I admit who I am. I deserve all that I'm getting. But when you come into your kingdom, can you just remember me? And Jesus looks over at him. He responds to him. And I feel like Jesus looked at him with a look that said, man, I've been thinking about you all along. It's the reason why I'm here on this cross next to you. And as Jesus tells him, today you're going to be with me in this kingdom. I don't have to think about you or remember you. You're going to walk through the doors with me. It was in that moment that that man's guilt met God's grace. And as it happened, hope began to change because now there is hope for the guilty. See, there was a price for us to be reconciled to God. Sin had been piling up and would continue to do so until there was a sacrifice that would wipe it all away. Think of it like your credit card bill. Eventually, you got to pay it down to zero. Some of us struggle getting it down to zero. We make the minimum payment. That's what we've been doing to sin until Jesus showed up. Until there was someone who could handle the bill. The Bible tells us that he canceled our debt and he nailed it to the cross with him. And in those moments, God treated Jesus like he had committed every single sin, even when he created none of them, even when he committed none of them. And God reached back into the past and forward into the future and placed all of that sin on Jesus in that moment. And the weight of sin on his body made Jesus feel something he had never felt ever in eternity. In all of history of him being in, in this form and in, God's, in being God, he never felt separation from the Father. And as the weight of sin laid on Jesus, he felt separation as he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? It was a feeling like Jesus never had felt before. He didn't know what to do. The weight was incredible on him. And as he took the weight of sin in his body, he, re, he digs down inside and shouts one last declaration. It is finished. And as he does that, something changes. The atmosphere changes. Read, read the Bible. There's an earthquake that happened. It's dark already. It's a crazy day. Something different happened that day. Grace was unleashed. 
Hope was released to all mankind and the very first person to experience the saving grace of Jesus' sacrifice is probably one of the least deserving in the man on the cross with him. The thief that in his last breath reaches out to Jesus because even when we're guilty, there's hope. While we were enemies, while we were sinners, even if we never choose to ask Jesus to forgive us, even if we never accept what he did, he still went to the cross for us. He still gave all that he had to pay a bill that we could never pay so that sin wouldn't own us anymore, that there's hope for all of us now, hope for a new start, that we can be free. And even though we fall short, even though we decide to go our own way, even though we tell him to leave us alone, Jesus still made a way so that we could always find our way home. As Jesus breathes his last, that's not the end of the story. They place him in a tomb. Three days later, things get a little bit more interesting. John chapter 20, it says, Early on on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Picture this with me. You have a Mary on her way to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. She didn't have time to get it all ready before they put him in the tomb. And so she waited until after the Sabbath was done and she's coming back to prepare his body for burial. And if you look back a few verses in chapter 19, you'll find something a little bit interesting. That the garden, the tomb, was near the cross. I've never thought about this until this year that I wonder if as Mary was making her way to the tomb, if she could see the cross. If she could see where just a few days ago life ended in Jesus. If as she was walking, I wonder as she got closer, did her steps slow as she recounted what just had taken place? Did she drop her head as she made her way in the dark towards the place where death became realer than it ever had been. I wonder if in that walk she began to think, what am I going to do with my life now? I thought that Jesus was the Messiah. I thought that things were going to be different. I have no idea what's going to happen next. And as she walks in the dark towards the tomb, it's just like God to set the scene just like this. Because night always seems the darkest before the dawn. It always seems hopeless, and then God shows up. He uses this moment to declare forever that there is hope in the darkness. That in the shadow of the cross, the empty tomb bursts through like rays of light in the darkness. And Mary sees the stone rolled away from the tomb, but the stone wasn't moved so that Jesus could get out. He was strong enough for that. The stone was moved so that Mary could see in. So that she could see just what Jesus had done. And a few verses later, she sees Jesus alive, standing in front of her. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. Jesus' resurrection validated his claims that he indeed was the Son of God. His resurrection confirmed that the payment for sin for all of humanity had been accepted and our debts had been settled. I don't know about you, 
but if someone could tell me that they're going to die, but not only that they're going to die, but three days later, they're going to come back to life. And then it happens. I think the next things that they tell me would potentially alter the course of my life. If they can do that, I'm going to pay attention to what they say next. Jesus turns to her and says, go and tell the others what you've seen. His resurrection changes things. It paves a way for a new life. And this life that he's offering in this moment does not need to be approved by other people. He chose Mary on purpose. No one else was going to pick Mary. Mary had a bad reputation before she met Jesus. She actually had seven demons that inhabited her body before Jesus cast them out. And in Jesus' day, a woman could not go to court and testify as a witness. Her story, her words carried no weight with anyone else. But Jesus picked her in that moment to change who she was, to emphasize that our past with him does not determine our future, that he will choose us when other people won't choose us. Hope that there is more to who I am than who I've been. There is hope that now I can belong to something bigger than me, that my life matters not just for this next moment, but will echo all through eternity, that something that's changed inside of me because of what Jesus did can now change those that are around me. That's the assignment that he gives to Mary, and she has hope that everything that Jesus said is true. If the biggest thing that he said came true, then everything has to be true. And now we get to share in his victory over sin, over death. Romans tells us that he was raised to life to make us right with God. It tells us that we have the exact same power living on the inside of us, the same resurrection power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is now coursing through our veins. Romans 6 tells us that we can walk in a new life because he conquered death. We have a new life without sin, without shame, with new thoughts and new purpose and new direction. So just want to take a moment to address what's going on in the room. Because I believe that today there are some of you that walked into this place looking and hoping for something more. You were hoping that life could be different, that the hand that you had been dealt could somehow change. And today, maybe you feel something on the inside that there is hope, and it has a name, and it is Jesus. Or maybe you came here today just because it's Easter, and that's what you're supposed to do. But there's something stirring on the inside. There's this feeling that that maybe your life isn't as complete and whole as you thought it was. There's this gentle voice that seems to be calling your name, that seems to be asking if there's room for them in your life. So I believe that there are some in this room that you need to open your hearts just like the thief on the cross did. You need to step into the kingdom by admitting who you really are. That without Jesus, we're all sinners in need of a savior. But when we begin to admit that, when we begin to open our heart, Jesus comes right in to change everything for us. So I want to say a prayer with you this morning. 
And I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer after me. And if you pray this prayer and you mean it, Jesus will come into your life. Your guilt will meet God's grace this morning. That who you were is not who you are any longer or who you will be. Jesus offers hope that everything can change. So would you pray this after me? Would you say, Jesus, I need you today. I'll admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. And thank you for offering me new life today. God, give me new direction. Give me new hope. Give me new thoughts. And give me new purpose. I give you everything today. And I'll choose you every day from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to ask in just a couple of seconds if you prayed that prayer today. Whether it was the first time or the 120th time, it doesn't matter. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, we want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate what God is doing on the inside of your life. So when I count to three, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air and say, Pastor Kevin, I prayed that prayer today. I asked Jesus into my heart. Are you ready? One, if you prayed that prayer, you will never be the same. Two, Jesus is making all things new. Three, if that was you today, shoot your hand up in the air. Come on, let's celebrate today. If you ask Jesus in your heart today, we have something for you. God is changing everything and making it all new today. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.